If you're listening to this, there's a good chance you work within the real estate investing industry. There's another good chance that you would like to increase the sales of your products or services. Well, you're in the right place. United States Real Estate Investor is a platform you need to place your brand directly in front of your target audience. With our focused, growing audience of real estate investing beginners, enthusiasts, and seasoned professionals, you can continually reach our captivated viewers and listeners with ease. To learn more or to get started today, just visit UnitedStatesRealEstateInvestor.com slash advertising. That's UnitedStatesRealEstateInvestor.com slash advertising. Get ready to increase your brand awareness and your bottom line. Attract clients with content. It's finally time to effortlessly attract new clients. Learn more at universemediapublishing.com. Welcome, everybody, to this year in real estate investing, our year-end recap for the This Month in Real Estate Investing show. In this episode, we're going to talk about the increase in foreign real estate investment regulation, um, artificial intelligence and chat GPT's effects on the real estate business, and Maui fires attract predatory investments and investors like moths to the flame. Uh, don't forget, you can join the live conversation with your thoughts and questions on Facebook and YouTube during the show. All this and more on this episode of This Year in Real Estate Investing. Let's start the show. Welcome back. I'm your host, James Brown, and I show people how to make safe, secure returns through our hybrid investing model. Uh, go to hybridinvestor.vip to learn more. Uh, if it doesn't pop up, add the www on the front of that, www.hybridinvestor.vip. Uh, if you're watching live again, feel free to comment and ask questions in the chat. Today, our guests are Antonio Holman, who's our producer who's normally pulling the strings behind the scenes, Jennifer Statz, Kimberly Kesterkey, Johnny Macias, Nathan Turner, Richard Roop, David Randolph III, and Ethan Gao. Um, in that order, why don't you guys briefly introduce yourselves, share your background, and what types of investing you focus on? Well, I wanted to go last, but you put me first. <laughs> so uh, I, uh, I, my name is Antonio Holman. I'm the founder of uh, United States Real Estate Investor, uh, a media platform focused on real estate investing. Um, one day I woke up and realized a lot of people in this country were not wealthy. So I created this platform to help people learn how to build wealth through real estate. Uh, I'm going to jump on my soapbox really quick. 
the school system in the United States is trash and it teaches you how to be workers and it does not teach you how to build wealth. I got a severe issue with that. That issue should not exist. So that's why this platform exists. Um, I'm producing this show. So if it's a little rickety, <laughs> uh, just hang tight because we're having some issues. But yeah, it's going to be fun anyway. So thank you, uh, everybody, for being here. And thanks for everybody who's watching. It's going to be fun. Hey, everybody. Thanks. My name is Kimberly Kesterkey, and I'm the founder of the W2 Landlord brand, but most importantly, the Facebook group W2 Real Estate Investors. And I launched the platform back in 2019 when I didn't see a whole lot of content out there for people that hold full-time jobs but still want to invest in real estate. So there was a lot of content around retiring and doing real estate full-time, but there's just a huge segment of the population that still want to keep their jobs and invest in real estate. So that's really what we're all about. Awesome. Jennifer, you want to go next? We'll follow the order in the chat. Yeah. Um, so my name is Jennifer Stats. I'm the owner and founder of Stat Solutions. Uh, we run the operations of real estate brokerages, teams, investment firms nationwide. Awesome. Uh, Johnny, you're up. Oh, my. Uh, hello, Johnny Macias, uh, managing broker of a company called Colorado Mortgage Connect. Uh, Colorado Mortgage Connect is an education-based mortgage brokerage. We focus on helping consumers go from zero to three properties and owning real estate and uh, building generational wealth, ultimately creating passive income that is designed to replace your W-2 income in retirement. Great. Am I, I'm up? Um, yeah, I put in the chat uh, the order. So yeah. Oh, okay. Next. <laughs> Great. Yeah, Nathan Turner. Uh, I am a note investor. I buy residential mortgage notes all over the country. I started doing that in 2008, right when things were all kinds of fun and crazy. Uh, and uh, just this year, I put together an investment fund so that uh, those who are interested in investing in notes without having to do all the work with me. Love it. All right. Uh, I'm Richard Roop. I'm the founder of ProfitPro.ai and Mindstorm Marketing. I am a uh, marketing consultant and copywriter turned creative real estate investor coach turned AI coach. Now I'm a real estate investor marketing coach. <laughs> and I've created a community and newsletters and training around that. Great. Hi, my name is David Randolph. I'm the founder of Short Seal Profits. My website is thedavidrandolph.com because davidrandolph.com was taken. So somebody said, aren't you the David? Yeah, go daddy, give me thedavidrandolph.com. You know, I teach people how to do short sales. I'm a regular investor. Uh, started out like everybody else 14 years ago. Um, I rehab five to 10 houses a year. Um, all my houses sold in seven days or less. Atlas price or higher. For the last 14 years, um, I make fifty dollars to $150,000 profit on each house by buying them as short sales, not on the MLS, but rather directly with the bank and negotiating. Um, I now teach people how to do that. I love doing that. My last four students, believe it or not, made over $100,000 profit on their first short sale. The banks are dumping the houses and nobody knows about it. And I'm really honored to be here with James and Antonio. These are some amazing guys doing an amazing thing for this industry. So 
Thank you very much, James and Antonio, for having me on this year-end uh, review of the real estate market. Fantastic. Ethan. Hi, everybody. I'm Ethan Gao. I live in Houston, Texas. I've been a corporate and real estate uh, attorney for over 17 years. I got into real estate by being a hard money lender about nine years ago. Right now, I spend most of my time doing special situations, uh, short-term emergency type of loans, and I sign on loans as a loan guarantor and key principal. I also do legal work for investors, including doing their PPM syndications and uh, information documents. Fantastic. I just noticed for those watching video that Ethan and Richard are in the same exact room. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, we're hanging out. <laughs> uh, virtual backgrounds. Awesome. All right, guys, let's let's dive into the news. So this this year end recap, we're doing it a little bit different. So we're going to kind of dive into some categories and, uh, and touch on some news art articles that we went through each month throughout the year. So um, the first category we're talking about the increase in foreign real estate investment regulations. Um, in those past articles, I know we, we talked about some of the reasons and, and, and focus on on those restrictions and and they were mainly on agricultural land and critical infrastructure um, military bases um, you know water treatment plants things like that um, but it's kind of a slippery slope so anybody else have some comments on on that I guess it's kind of more of an opinion piece in a, in a way, right? This is kind of an interesting one. So I, I live in Canada, um, and this is similar to something that was introduced in Canada a few years back. <clears throat> in Canada, the reasoning was they were trying to slow down the market. Uh, they had so many foreign investors coming in and uh, buying up property all over that prices were going up, 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 up. So in, in Ontario and in BC, uh, I don't remember which one is which, but in one of those provinces, if you if you're foreign person buying property, uh, it's a twenty percent tax that's added on to whatever the purchase price is. In in the other province, it's twenty five percent, so it's very very wow. steep. So this, this reminds me very much of that. I find it interesting that it's just on land. I'm not exactly sure why the reason, what the reasoning would be for for making it difficult for foreigners to buy land i'm curious about that well the conspiracy theorists say that the chinese are buying up all our agricultural land so maybe this is a good thing <laughs> if that's true it's just a conspiracy theory but on that in terms of the agricultural land i think that should be controlled or just owned by people privately that, you know, are national in terms of living here. And the reason why is just, you know, it's, it's a good career for farming. Um, it's, you know, they're actually physically here developing the land, you know, making sure they're supporting the local economy. And, you know, a lot of the people that are investing in foreign countries, they're not necessarily here. So it's not as though that they can keep up the land and actually do something that will boost the economy. 
good point. Yeah, I think if you look at some of the articles, though, you know, this is kind of a state by state um, laws that are being passed. And I think that if you really look at what's going on, there's a there's differences between different states. You know, Florida just did something recently and it's all being called political. So a lot of this is being politicized with it. Um, but I think you really have to look at the individual states and what's happening. You know, I, I'm not an expert in the legislation and the laws that have been passed, but some of these are actually making it sound like just because you uh, live in America and you're of Chinese descent or of uh, other, you know, uh, uh, you know, Iranian descent or any kind of other, you know, uh, you know, native background, you know, if you weren't, you know, uh, like, you know, an American Indian, you know, that that you can't buy land. It's it's not just a foreign company. And we can all maybe come together and say, yeah, we don't want a foreign company to buy uh, 20 miles around our military base, right? We can maybe all agree on that kind of thing with it. But I think some of these states, if you look at it more closely, or the danger in it is that, no, it's, it's someone that's lived here for 20, for 50 years, but they happen to be a Chinese person. They can't buy land around where everyone else buys land. And so that becomes a discrimination type, you know, fair housing law type concept. I think you have to watch out for we you know, we can maybe round, uh, you know, agree on some things, but I think the de the devil's in the details of how that actually works because some of the laws are pretty potent, okay? One, it says that if they catch you, then the government can confiscate your land and take it away. <laughs> you know, it doesn't say anything about compensating you for what you paid for it or anything like that. And, and even some of them that already own land today before the laws pass, have a one-year period to come up and step up front and say, hey, I'm Chinese and I already own this. If you don't do that according to these laws, then the government can take your land back. And so I think you got to watch on how this regulations get used on on everybody else too. So I think you got to look at this state by state, in my opinion. So you're saying it's not a Chinese citizen, it's American citizen of Chinese descent? Yeah, basically some of these state-by-state wow. state are are talking about that type of thing. Iranian, you know, and you know, and and you know, other you know states that are on the you know certain list, but people are still um, you know Americans, Amer well, relatively you know American citizens that have come here at some point in time. You know, I don't know if it's a, if it's you know someone that's been a family here for fifty years or exactly how that you know exactly what that is, but some of those articles in the states and you're going to watch each state differently so hey for everybody uh so i am of chinese descent so uh going forward i am no longer of chinese descent so i'm going to just <laughs> completely remove that so you guys heard it first you, you i now identify as a non-chinese <laughs> hey that's all you got to do <laughs> Yep, can't argue with it anymore, right? <laughs> uh, that's awesome. To me, it would make a little bit more sense of what's the intent of the purchaser. If it's agricultural land that they're they're talking about making commercial, that's different than agricultural land used for agricultural purposes. Um, to me, uh, maybe I'm alone on this, but if they're using it for agricultural purposes, great. Let's grow more food and feed more people, uh, and and you know help the economy in that way. If they want to change it and make it a different use, I can have some issues with that depending on what they want to change that use to.
Yeah, good point. Yeah. And it goes both ways too, you know, like people buying land in Mexico, you know, it used to be like a hundred year lease. At the end of that, it was like, they could take it back. And then, right. you know, they can come in and strong arm. I've, I've, I've got some personal friends that have had that built homes, family homes. Some people, uh, one, it was like a retirement home. Somebody just came in there with machine guns and just took over. Like, what are you going to do? Um, but yeah, it's interesting when we start, you know, restricting another country, but then we expect to go in and do something in, on their land too. Like, it's also curious that it's specific countries like David was saying, like it's, uh, I, I don't remember the list offhand, but China, Cuba, Iran, you know, some some specific countries where like, oh, that's curious. You know, why would we prevent uh, somebody? And again, maybe it comes down to the intent of what they're going to use the land for or what uh, stated intent, at least. Well, it sounds like an adversary list. People they think might be adversaries. Sure. Is Sounds like. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, a few of the articles that. Yeah, just a, a few of the articles that I read in in that that chunk was a lot of the concern of just you know people purchasing and not being present. So there's a lot of things that roll into that. It's a lot of real estate that just sits vacant. It's land that could sit vacant. Again, that real estate or that land, it's not being developed. I mean, I don't necessarily know too much about the tax structure, but are we getting and collecting taxes on that? So it's just really looking at, you know, the economics surrounding that specific area. Now, I don't agree with if somebody already owns the land and they're living here and contributing to the economy, that's a whole different ball game. But I think in that article that they, they were really pinpointing that that could be a risk, but I didn't read it as it was a risk. But again, you know, I believe that it that it is and that I don't agree with. I'm just looking at if they're already outside of the states and investing in here, then, you know, there should be other ways to collect taxes or that they can support the economy, not just buying the property and letting it sit. All right, why don't we jump to our next category, self-storage investment boom. Are any of you guys investing in self-storage? Well, I, I help investors invest in self-storage. I think it's a great niche, but but a lot of the articles were related to like uh, big investment operations, which Mm -hmm. You know, uh, where they pull money together and they build these 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 uh, complexes and stuff. I think the real opportunity is in the mom and pop operations where retiring landlords or retiring owners and targeting them and getting creative and, and helping them retire. Uh, so that's my take on it. I think it's a great niche to target. And I think it's a great type of uh, commercial real estate to own. There's not a lot of commercial real estate. I'd want to own now, but that's one of them. Yeah, it seems to do well in up and down markets, right? I know we're we're looking for some good self storage operators that do that. What you're talking about, syndicating, going in and buying from mom and pop operators, increasing, you know, operational efficiency and updating and things like that. So, anybody knows. Uh -huh. 
good solid operator let me know <laughs> yeah um Go ahead, so David. you know yeah i i think that you know i don't personally invest in the storage but i know a lot of investor friends and of course you know the articles that have come out you know on you know the and you know the over the year the articles are released you know in the podcast and in the groups on storage like you said just talking about the big syndications 11 billion dollar companies but and they're consolidating even bigger but as, as a mom and pop richard i think you have to watch out for the fact that can these big conglomerates run you out of town as a mom and pop mom and pop doesn't have necessarily the resources to fight the big battle with these storage companies that are you know that are grouping together and 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 what happens is and so, so I mean, this might be actually a positive sign. So one, you know, is anytime some big giant uh, entity comes into a space and they can control the rate of the storage unit, now you're subject to that competition. You can't just ignore the fact that, you know, 10 storage facilities uh, by, you know, some big, you know, market provider is at $5 a month for the storage unit, you're out of business, right? So you always have to be you know, aware of that side. And we, don't, and we don't have that in the residential space. We don't have, you know, we complain about, you know, BlackRock, Blackstone, or whoever those people are, maybe buying up some homes, but you know, single family residential is pretty much single family residential. You know, even my biggest wholesaling company in St. Louis only buys 150 houses. But in storage, when you get this billion dollar companies, you get the risk of that. So I think that's a, a thing to be careful of, you know, you know, if you're the investor in that area. However, if you read what those big conglomerates are doing in the industry, they're using technology to drive up the prices of the storage units. So that may actually override everything, you know, I think, Richard, and, and, and that, you know, becomes why we say this might be a very great opportunity for, you know, small investors like, like us is because these conglomerates have these tools and technologies and these, these funnel systems that on a month-to-month -month basis is incrementally increasing the rent of these of these storage units and so i think that's something to, to watch out and and keep in mind is is they're actually driving prices you know up through their technology that they're employing um that you know that's yeah. kind of my my view of the storage industry that th those are really good points and so what i would recommend is you go where there's less competition so anytime you buy any type of property you got to take a look at who's your competition and if if you're comp if you're if a, if someone's selling a self storage facility and and they're competing with these big boys coming in, then you take that into account. I rather go more rural, more outskirt, uh, where there's still a demand but less competition. And yeah, you buy based on uh, based on the what competition you expect and the opportunity to increase the income on the property. Um, so that's all. Yeah, that's all part of your due diligence. You bet. All right, um, let's jump to the next one. Silicon Valley bank crash. That was uh, that's a big one in the news. Was anybody affected by that in this group, or have any comments on it in general? Nobody. Okay, so okay, I'll, I'll answer that question. Okay, um, so so for me, you know, as I, my intro, you know, I'm the guy that does short sales for 14 years, 
Uh, and so, right. and so, so the banking industry I'm watching, you know, all the time, you know, every day. But the question was, did Silicon Valley Bank really affect you? Well, from the perspective of the fact that it was actually simply a bank for startup and technology companies, you know, in, you know, California, you know, it, it, no, it doesn't really affect any of us. You know, what, you know, I'm not a startup company where it's not a typical bank. Okay. But what it was, was the concept of Silicon Valley Bank and why they got in trouble because they're investing in lo very low rate, you know, government, you know, bonds type thing. And then when rates rose, that they started to basically see a loss. So what if uh, other banks in the country were using that same strategy? Um, and so now could we have a run on those banks? Uh, they're not a technology startup company, uh, you know, banking location. So, so, so the bank itself was meaningless uh, for, I think, anybody. They, they didn't, the only home loans that they did were over $20 million to big fat cats, you know, in California. So, so for the, the, the lending industry, it had no effect. I think it was a, a global warning sign to, okay, wait a minute. We had a 2008, 2009 banking crisis. Okay. Uh, that, that cascaded, you know, well actually started, you know, in the, in the mortgage industry kind of thing where you've got this happening outside of it. But if it cascades inside to the mortgage industry, the Wells Fargo's, the U.S. banks and the others that do do loans out there on single family residential houses, you know, could that then, you know, pull those down? So I think that's where the effect was, was whoops, you know, interest rates rose too fast and some people, um, you know, got caught with their pants down in the strategy that the bank were employing. Who else is doing that out there? And that's what causes that fear of, oh, my gosh, you know, let's start guessing at what other banks, you know, fail. And then that becomes uh, like a call on the loan. I mean, the reason they went down is because $42 billion withdrawals came out. I mean, nobody mm -hmm. can run $42 billion gets sucked out in a day, you know, kind of thing. So it's that fear side of what happens. So, so, so for me, I think that it put the spotlight on the big U.S. bank and Wells Fargo's, all the other, you know, lenders out there that whoops, you know, if they have a run on their bank or if they have some other focus on them and they've got these non-performing notes, these short sales. So, so a short sale is when you owe, so this is a short sale is when a homeowner, single family homeowner owes more than what the house is worth. They can't sell it and pay off the loan. And if they're not making their payment, it becomes a non-performing note. And, and so when that happens, the bank's got to take, you know, 15 to one off their books, a hundred thousand dollar loan. They're going to take a million and a half dollars quote off their books. If now all the FDIC and everybody starts, FT, you know, they all start looking at their books and saying, Hey, you guys are insolvent. You know, then, then that's where the Silicon Valley bank, you know, drew that attention. So that's why, you know, I think I saw an increase in short sales from other banks who were probably perfectly stable, but, in the in the world of the mortgages and stuff like that, they had a lot of non-performing notes because there's over two million delinquent loans, uh, you know, from the pandemic CARES Act moratorium still sitting there in this country today, you know, since you know 2020, and so I think that probably brought a focus on the big banks. So I, that's where I saw the most effect was that the the good banks said, "Whoops, we don't want anybody looking at us. We better clean some of this." this mess up we've got, you know, from these delinquent loans. I'm going to try to make it slightly oh. lighter, if that's okay. Maybe make a joke. 
Um, so I was introduced to Silicon Valley Bank about two months before they failed. Uh, somebody had introduced them as they will do specialty financing. And I had a call with somebody in like San Francisco and we talked for 20 minutes. I sent them my personal financial statement. And you know what, guys? They rejected me for a loan. And you know what happened to them? They failed. So this is a lesson learned. Do not reject me for anything. Thank you. Very much. I think if you're looking for intelligence in banks, I think that's a long journey. I learned a long time ago. I, I, I want to set up my business and my operation and my real estate investing without relying on any banks because now I understand David's model where he's dealing with banks and there's different models where you, you have banks involved, but the best thing to do is buy and sell property without ever relying on a bank to fund you or to fund your buyer or, or to rehab. I mean, that's the ideal situation. I know you guys got different investing models and businesses where you rely on banks, but the more you rely on banks, the more you're out of control. And I think the problems with banks are going to continue, uh, have always been a problem and they're only going to get worse going forward. That's my, that's my crystal ball. We'll see. This is recorded by the way. So we can check. Back. <laughs> I'll be on next year, right? Yep, yeah. yep. For the year end. <laughs> if you behave yourself. <laughs> this was, so Anybody this was, else have comments on that? Yeah, this was a really interesting um, time. This was almost a year ago now, but when we're thinking back on it, I mean, the memory and the fear was right there where people are like, banks are failing, what? And, and immediately everybody went to 2008, uh, which is, you know, still fresh in many of our memories. Um, like David was saying, this was, this was more of a small business bank, or small, but it was more of a business bank where they were doing commercial loans uh, and startup loans. And so on the residential side, um, depending on what side of the coin you're on, thankfully uh, it worked out okay. Um, talking about the non-performing notes, yeah, David's right, there's still a ton of them out there. Uh, that's what I was dealing with for years and years, starting in 2008 um, mm -hmm. and just buying up all kinds of non-performing loans for a long time doing that. Today, they're, they're a lot less uh, prevalent. You don't see a lot of those non-performers. Uh, I'm mostly buying performing loans these days. Uh, and whether it's from a bank or from uh, seller finance people, uh, that's much more what we're seeing. And part of that is is it's very difficult for anybody really to get loans at a bank now. Um, so with Richard talking about wanting to do something outside of banks, absolutely. Uh, you can absolutely go and do some kind of a seller finance deal or something like that, get the financing you need to be able to move forward with whatever your project is. Yeah. All right, let's take a break and hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, it's me, Antonio Holman, founder of United States Real Estate Investor and producer of This Month in Real Estate Investing. Are you ready to ignite your financial freedom with what has been called the hottest REI strategy around, or should I say strategies? Enter Jason Pallister's two-day investment blueprint where you will learn the secrets that the real estate investing community doesn't know because they never had a reason to before. 
With Jason's two-day investment blueprint, you will learn how to tackle real estate deals with over 40 different strategies, which means your chances of losing another deal nearly disappears completely. In Jason's two-day life transformation intensive, you will learn how to generate more deals, close deals faster, win more deals over other investors, multiply your real estate deal strategies, and much more. Jason's two-day investment blueprint can help you grow your REI business to six and seven figures faster with much less aggravation. If you want to learn how to invest in any market in the United States, even the tough markets, and close multiple deals per month, visit twodayblueprint.com. That's the number two, dayblueprint.com. And make sure you tell them you heard it here on This Month in Real Estate Investing. Don't believe the no more good deals hype and visit twodayblueprint.com today. Now back to James with This Month in Real Estate Investing. All righty, all righty. Let's get back to the news and talk about commercial real estate and the turmoil over that. You know, we had uh, COVID and remote work really affect office space, especially. Um, Anybody want to jump in on that one? I'm going to jump in on this because uh, throughout the year, uh, coming up with news stories and things like that for everything I'm doing here, it's been massive doom and gloom at every turn when it comes to commercial. I haven't heard one good thing about commercial whatsoever. But if you talk to some commercial guys, they're like, it's fine. There's upturns, downturns, yada, yada, yada. But at the same time, when the corporate uh, entities are trying to force their workers back into the office, a lot of workers are quitting. They're not even, they don't want to hear it. <laughs> They're coming mm-hmm. into the office uh, at minimal amounts. They'll come in, have a coffee, have the meeting, and then they leave. So then they are talking about office building conversions. I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but those are huge projects. I mean, who's going to do that? You know, now at the same time, as time's marching on, does that mean that there's going to be pennies on the dollar purchases of uh, commercial properties? It's kind of looking that way. I mean, I kind of got my fingers crossed on that because I got some ideas. So I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think there's a, a an upswing for this or is it just going to be down in the dirt and useless? What do you think? Well, I'm going to step out here and, and just give you my, my opinion, which doesn't mean a lot in the commercial space. But, you know, since, you know, like I said, I'm, I do short sales in the residential space. I've been doing it since 2009. And, and, and back in 2009, I'm still waiting for the commercial space to fall from 2009. So yeah, you, you, yeah. You, you say that oh, it, it's, it's pennies on the dollar is going to happen. Uh, well, I'm still waiting for it from 2009 to happen. So I, I don't know how they get away around it. I know the I know the facts that are out there that you've got these loans that are that can be called that they're only good for five years, seven years type thing, and they and they reset. But you know what what happens when they reset? I mean, I'm I'm still waiting for them to reset from 2009. Yeah, good point. Good point. Oh, Antonio, you mentioned the conversions that it sounds nice and it sounds like a, a good thing, but you start getting into the weeds on that. I mean, divvying up those spaces to become residential, that's a huge amount of space and you've got outside windows. That's it. 
most of those outside windows don't open. So that, how do you do that as a residential? So that there are a lot of issues to deal with uh, in converting that. So it's, it sounds nice and it's uh, maybe good on paper, but that's a, that's a very expensive and time consuming process. Yeah. That yeah. 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 Plumbing. Yeah. Putting enough bathrooms yeah. in. That's another big one. That's, yeah, that's a dream scenario. <laughs> yeah. They've also talked about converting to like light industrial. Um, yeah. Challenges with that. You, most of them you need pretty solid flooring, you know, higher yeah. ceilings. Um, people so, are doing so it. Here's, though, you know? We got a comment here. Somebody yeah. says something about bailouts. You think the Fed's going to bail out commercial real estate? Mm. Doubtful. I think they I, I would. Doubtful too. I think they would bail out banks and then that indirectly would bail out commercial real estate because regional yeah. and small banks, like 90% of their loan portfolio is going to be commercial real estate. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Right. That could make sense, maybe. Because <laughs> yeah. the Fed, I mean, that's another subject that we can go down a rabbit hole on for hours. Well, the, the, biggest, the biggest connection there is commercial real estate investors, a lot of times they increase the income on the property, they increase the value, and then they want to go to a bank to pull out their equity. Or they're under a loan where they have to refinance like in five years. And that's... Uh, uh, again, so that's why a lot of commercial real estate investors are going to have troubles. Uh, but it, it, it's it's but specific type of properties that have demand, there's opportunity. But yeah, converting these into uh, mixed use, there's a I think there's other easier, better ways to create housing, affordable housing for folks that need affordable housing. Is is this going to turn into uh, the China ghost cities in the United States? Oh my gosh! Makes you wonder, right? <laughs> yeah, it does. I, yeah, you know, you would, would never happen. But then, like you said, we see it in China. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, it, it, yeah. Yep. They're going to have to do something because if you look at all of the commercial real estate that are office buildings across the United States, it's, there's just so much land and so much potential. So, regardless, conversion conversion is going to be difficult. But those are where I truly believe are the biggest opportunities. I'm not in commercial real estate, but a few years ago when this all started happening, I started thinking, well, gosh, you know, what what could be done there? I don't know if it's doing a complete teardown and rebuild, but but the land is the land and it's the only finite thing. So if somebody gets really creative and figures that out, they're going to make a lot of money. Yep. And they are starting it uh, in where I live here, just outside of Calgary, Alberta. Uh, they are doing that. Their plans have been put in place and they are doing a bunch of conversion uh, into residential, uh, some shopping, different things uh, that they've got planned. Uh, I don't know what the price tag or the timing looks like, but that's what they're doing. So it is going ahead. I guess yeah, where you guys live... Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, where you guys live, are people going back to the office? So I live in Houston, and a lot of the oil and gas companies said, you know, just work from home. But now they're all, you know, two days in the office, three days in the office, four days in the office. Um, are you guys seeing that where you live? Mm -hmm. A little bit yeah, here in, in Atlanta. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I have people all over and it's kind of just depends on the company. A lot are doing like flex work schedules where they're rotating yeah. desks. So even then they've condensed down their office space considerably because they don't all have private offices anymore. They're rotating through. And, and that is a trend. And is the trend going to be more people wanting to go back to work or more people wanting flex space? More people are going to want flex space and they're going to figure out how to make that work for the corporations. So the, follow the trend. Mm -hmm. I mean, do, who really wants to go back into the office after many, many months of working from home? No one. As an <laughs> no employer, one. I do. As an employee, I absolutely do not. Correct. Correct. <laughs> There's there's still plenty so of people. So I want all my employees to go in the office, but I'm gonna work from home. It's a, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very uh, double standard. Yeah. What are you saying, Jennifer? Yeah. There's there's tons of people that prefer to go into the office, though. I know like two separate people that specifically asked their employer if they can go back in because of you know their house doesn't make sense with kids at home. I mean, I think it, it does depend yeah. on the person. I like working from home, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. A lot of people have a very difficult time working in a space of comfort that they have created for themselves versus an actual workspace. So mm -hmm. some people can't, they can't focus because they're like, I'm at home, this isn't work. So yeah, there's a whole psychology behind that also. Mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of the people on this call, you know, would love to work at home and to be efficient, you, you time block your work you have a, a workspace at home and I, you know, when I, I, when I was working at home for at one of my properties, I decided to actually rent a, uh, an office space two blocks away just to get out of the house. So I know that I'm at work, I'm working, right? So there's some advantages to going to work, but a lot of people are kind of spoiled, but it does take discipline. Yeah. 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 I think we're, I think we're, we're all going to talk starters, right? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think we're going to talk about it a little bit later as well when we're talking about uh, migration and what, what mm -hmm. that, that's done and what that looks like. Yeah. And everybody migrated to one place, but yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, hey, let's jump to the next topic Airbnb, short term rentals. There's a huge crackdown. Um, with regulations on that so lots to talk about there and i think most of us are in, in single family so get getting back to our our area of knowledge um uh, more and more restrictions running. for airbnb investors is the trend so if you like someone else dictating what you do with your properties or how you're gonna you know get your income that then you're losing control in that model. So you're out, you're out of control when the, the cities dictate what you can do with your property on short-term rentals. So that's one of the reasons I don't like it. Uh, so there's still opportunities, but I think the opportunities are decreasing because of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Plus, and I, when I, when I was right? researching this, I thought it was just uh, New York city mainly there's a few other cities but what i realized it's actually affecting cities in europe as well <laughs> which i was surprised to learn you know and remember on the one the one show we had matt terrio on he said he wants nothing to do with it 
and a lot of people on the YouTube comments they really got they got angry. <laughs> yeah, it was strange. Yeah, I mean Kansas City, Missouri, um, you know, can in Kansas City, Kansas, they're passing the craziest laws um, on you know short-term rentals. It's as if they forgot that we're Americans and we own our house. Okay, are they going to tell me what I watch on television next? Because that's not the right thing to do. I mean, what what is the reasoning, the logic behind an entrepreneurial society, capitalist society, where supply and demand, we have a need. It's not like these short-term rentals are losing money. They're making money, okay? And they're supplying a need for somebody that comes into that area. And if you regulate that out, what happens to that person that comes to be within three miles of that hospital to wait for that kidney or that liver to come in or, or somebody's coming in to watch the ball game at the multi-billion dollar stadium, you know, that they built. So, so, so to me, it just blows my mind, you know, how, how the, the government can get away with telling Americans what they can do when they own a house. Now I understand parties, a lot of music. We've had that forever. That, that's called city ordinances, you know, decibel limit and, you know, um, uh, making loud noise and disturbing your neighbors. That's fine. We don't want to disturb our neighbors, okay, but we own the house, and why can't I rent it to somebody else? I'm just blown away by by how that is, and I can understand, you know, Matt's frustration with it. Screw them, you know, walk away from it, and now see what you you run into. Okay, now all the all the workers that you wanted to provide cheap housing for have no job to go to because the ski resort shut down. Yeah, that'll show you real quick, Mr. Government. So I think it's a crazy thing going on right now in Kansas City, Missouri, for crying out loud. You know? Sorry. Oh, man, David, you're going to hate the corporate. You're going to hate the Corporate Transparency Act, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I already do. Yes. <laughs> I'm in the Atlanta area and, and they did a huge crackdown on short-term rentals. And as I dug in a little bit deeper, it was really a lot of these short-term rental owners, they really had to just go in and get business licenses. And I think it was, they couldn't have more than three or four, which really affected more of the larger owners. I personally have, I believe it's three myself, but they're not all in Atlanta. And every single one of them, if I want to do 30 days or less, I just have to go and get a business license. You know, some of them have actually moved to midterm rentals. And a lot of people have done that. If you read the articles, it looks like that's really the trend. Mm -hmm. And I've even noticed the impact on, you know, one of my midterm rentals that I always had as a midterm. I never had a problem renting it. And now it's it's vacant more often than it used to be. And I think it's because a lot of these short term rental owners are moving into midterm rentals. But what a lot, what my point is, is go get a business license, you know, just pay some taxes on it and then you can, you can still keep it. At least that's what the laws are in Atlanta right now. Yep. That's, they're so required can't... here in Colorado. Yeah. And it, most of our, our like the Denver Metro, it, it has to be your primary residence running out of room. You can't have a whole house running out short term. You can do it midterm, but uh, mm -hmm. that that's really put the brakes on on this area for sure. And and Kim, I kind of want to piggyback off what you were saying here about having the business license and paying taxes on the income. Mm -hmm. uh, in the mortgage industry, documentable income is a good thing. 
right? Uh, remember, a mortgage isn't a loan against uh, you know your property; it's a loan against your financial ability to repay the loan. Having documentable income with you know documenting your short-term rental is uh, very pro. So, just kind of wanted to add that in there. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, we are um, trying to like, reduce our taxes and stuff, and then screw ourselves when we're trying to get loans and <laughs> become investors, right? Me, me, and uh, me, and David uh, shared a short-term rental in uh, in Key West, Florida, and he was my roommate. And then uh, I, I got invited to another short-term rental, so he got the whole place. And it was a million-dollar property; it was on the market. And so I talked to the owner about buying it. And but, however, you had to buy a hundred thousand. It was one way. It was like one block off of the main drag in Key West. And you had to buy a hundred thousand dollar license in order to to use that as a short term rental, and the owner, and the owner that we rented it from didn't have that license, so they figured out a way around it. But of course, when you're buying it, you have to take that into account. So there's things I'm that they do if they want to reduce that. We're seeing what we call the the burnt out landlord, where people that were landlords are short term rental uh investors where now as their exit they're selling these properties on terms and creating notes uh and then selling off those notes to guys like me but that's that's another exit that's another thing we're seeing that's happening mm. I like. that's cool somebody made a comment it's the hotel industry that's driving the new laws it's definitely a factor and they got a lot of weight to throw around yeah, I, I, I ran into that information throughout the year as well. So the hotels, the hotel industry is getting upset. <laughs> uh, they're getting the money taken out of their pockets by the uh, citizens. So they're, they're not happy about that at all. Yeah, we were bound to find some equilibrium there. <laughs> right, right. Well, hey, let's jump to our next Category artificial intelligence and chat GTPs, GPTs effects on real estate business and marketing. Hmm. Richard. This may have been the biggest story of the entire year. <laughs> yeah. You know what? <clears throat> I just spent I just I just spent three full well, three half days online with real estate investors teaching them how to use AI in the real estate business. And what amazes me is that uh, so many people are just clueless about the opportunities of what you can do with some free tools okay just about everything that you do in your real estate business or any business can be enhanced and improved and you can save time and get more things done using ai and a simple tool just like chat gpt just open up a free account and start using it and then when you when you learn how to use it really good and and you know what you <clears throat> but number one you have to know what you want to get accomplished so if you're investing in real estate you need to know what to do in real estate but now whatever you need to do can, you can do 10 times faster or better or do more of it or do new things that you would never even tried because it was just too complicated or too much trouble so it's a huge opportunity and uh, I think more and more you're going to be forced to use AI in your business because mm -hmm. they're integrated in it all in all the tools you already use. 
So I suggest you start looking at how those tools work in the programs that you're already using. We're, we're so, you know, we're so, we, we dismiss that. And we click, oh, I'll look at that later. Start looking at it now because, man, mm -hmm. I, I've increased my productivity a thousand percent and I've increased my income five times uh, using AI as a marketer, as a, as a real estate coach. Uh, anybody can use it. It's just doing what you're already doing, but better, faster, or more, and doing new things that you never thought of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, Antonio uses that. it for this show. Yeah, together I, it, summaries it has increased us. productivity so much. It's it's like I have another five people working with me. You know, doing a lot of other things. It's it's incredible. Um, hey, Antonio, tell us three things yeah. that you use AI for in your in, in in your publishing business uh marketing copy uh news reports uh research news research man there's so much coding <laughs> that's that's sad because uh stack overflow had to lay off i think it was like a thousand people or something like that or two i think it was 200 people because of chat gpt's capability to code Wow. That's not good. I mean, it's already killing lots of jobs. A lot of copywriters are going out of business. Um, it's it's difficult. It's difficult. I don't know what to say. It's great, but it's terrible. But a lot of people say that don't look at it as if it's bad. Just look at it as a massive enhancement to what you're already doing. It's so a I don't tool. Know, but yeah, a... I mean, the, the, the opinion of someone who just got put out of business is totally different, though. All right. Well, they didn't have a viable business. They needed to change their business or get into a new business. Uh, so, and by a, a lot of people have jobs. You should be using AI to get a raise. All right. You should yeah. be AI to become a partner, right? To blow your boss's mind. But I think you should use AI to go ahead and start that dream business you always thought about doing. Yeah. Yeah. Who else is using AI in their businesses? And how we we use AI like on a daily basis um, for a little bit of everything. I mean, I use it for a lot of ideas. I mean, I had a copywriter and I, she's still on my team. We just do more. So now we're producing more content. Our clients are producing more content. We're putting out more video content because we're using AI to cut up videos like we're just doing more where I would get stuck on ideas. But then I'll just plug some stuff in a chat GPT and then it spits out you know, an entire year of content and then we run with it. So there's so much you can do. Yeah. Now I wonder how this could fit into a real estate business to actually have, you know, AI communicating with potential coaching students or uh, pre-qualifying people who are selling properties, yep. things like that. Is anybody using that yeah. for those types of it, purposes? Yeah. Yeah. They it's already happening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I mean, this is a relationship business, as I've heard a million times. Real estate is, but AI is killing the relationship part. No, no, AI is not killing the relationship. It's you getting think? you on the phone. It's getting you on the phone from someone who already gathered all the information that you would have had to give them. They're they're pre qualified, and now you can talk to them. You know, they have yeah. uh, AI phone calls as well. 
I know that you can train them. You can pay for yeah. it and you can train them yourself. So they answer questions exactly how you would. I have yeah. an AI assistant that sets appointments for me. And I swear I've closed deals and the person never knew I had an AI. They, they thought I really had an assistant and it was never a real person. Yeah. And they set the appointment. I called and I sold them a house 30 days later. Wow. So I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> It's too good. Yeah. It's it, too good. Yeah, it's basically there's three things. You can do things better. Things that you're doing now, you can do it better. Or the things you can doing now, you can do more of it. Mm -hmm. Right? So do things better, do more of what works, and then do new things that you're not doing that you know you should be doing. Uh David, that's an opportunity for you to get a phone trained AI to negotiate with banks. <laughs> what do you oh think? no 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 that's the that's the fun part that i enjoy in what i do uh, okay no no that 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 uh, i that's you know that's what i enjoy doing so i don't want to i don't want to take that uh, you don't want to take the phone uh, away <laughs> no 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 not, not not that area well you know what you david know what you would have fun at teaching ai how to do what you know to do that's what you would enjoy you would enjoy okay. so, inst instructing AI on what what you do and watch it do it for you. You're exactly right. You know my engineering background and everything like that. But let me bring up a wet noodle topic that I wasn't going to bring up. Okay, uh -oh. but I'm going to go ahead and bring it up. No <laughs> one ever talks about it, and they're going to kick me off the show. And then Richard's going <laughs> to kick me off the show, and he won't he won't let me stay in his room anymore. And when we travel and, and stuff, but I'm going to bring it up. So, so Richard and the group, if I did that, if I took my 14 years of expertise and, and millions of dollars of profits from short sales and bank negotiation, and everything else. And I taught, uh, you know, AI to do that. What rights do I have to that system? What rights mm. and, and patents and, and everything do I have? Or is I now put it out in the public domain for someone else to go out there and say, uh, AI, hey, teach me how to do negotiations with the bank like David Randolph does. And boom, my whole system pops up on their screen. What right. is our terms of service with AI? All Anybody right. So you, 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 your fear is unwarranted, but you're worried about if you teach AI, someone's going to learn this. The only way they're going to learn what you create is if you sell it to them or give it to them or license it to them. This, so you need to understand that just because you're doing it at AI doesn't mean everybody has access to it. Um, that's what, that's well, what we said about Facebook and all of our contact data. Uh, and, and Well, you don't have to believe me. I would say go do some research. Yeah, there's, <laughs> no. there's you can build apps separately to teach these programs where it's using ChatGPT as like the basis, but it doesn't go back into the overall platform, which I'm really excited about because there's a lot of coaches that are putting all their data into an app they've built for their clients. So it is it is an opportunity for a lot of us with a lot of knowledge to do something and, and create a whole other revenue stream. David, no. you can create your own database of knowledge, your own large language model that your clients can tap into. It's not public unless you make it public. Okay. Well, that helps a little bit. But but wait a second. Okay, now, if you look over to the chat on the right there, I shared a link. I don't know if you knew this. Sarah Silverman, she's saying that artificial intelligence took some of her comedic works off of the internet and put them And she lost that art. Else. 
because her stuff is on because her stuff is on the internet. <laughs> uh, if, if if David puts his stuff into his own GPT, his own yeah. custom AI bot, nobody has access to it unless he gives them access to it. Mm-hmm. Does is is OpenAI still using that data to train though? If you allow it, there's a button. You, there's a button you can click off that in your conversations. You can. There's a button in your settings. You can say, "Don't use my conversations to train AI." But even if it is training AI, it's not going to take your stuff and give it to other people word for word or in any type of context that they could use it. Uh, it's just wow. to train how the chat responds. Yeah. This this is a total slippery slope. Totally. Mm-hmm. Sorry, sorry, guys. I always ask ask the question, like Jennifer. I'll just ask you, Jennifer, okay? Uh, And I want to get a hold of you after this is over with because I really want to talk to you more about what you're doing with it and stuff because Richard's right. Yeah, that would be so cool for me to take my knowledge and train train a system. And and, and it sounds like you're doing it, Jennifer. But just for everybody on here, you know, has anyone ever read the terms of service when they – accepted you know chat gpt or did you just click the checkbox red license agreement and went on okay like i had chat summarize it for me i had chat summarize <laughs> it <laughs> and i was so okay I with it. so i don't personally use chat gpt for anything that would be preliminary for myself or my clients like i don't put any kind of confidential i don't put contracts i don't put anything like that now some of the other bots that we pay for or get licensing and we're training, we do own the rights to all of that. So we're just training that specific tool. It doesn't go back to anybody else, which takes a whole lot more work, right? Because you're literally training your assistant word for word. I mean, we've all gotten these calls, right? That like some are really good, some are really bad. That's trained by an individual and that's owned by that company generally. And, And you have to continue to monitor it, train it, refine it. So it is a project that yeah. someone on your team will have to take over. But you can create, this is the term that you guys want to take away with because everybody should probably do this. You want an AI conversational customized chatbot. All right. Oh, so whether, Wait, hold on, hold on. Let me interrupt here. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm really excited here. Miss All Realty Solutions posted in the box. Chat. Uh, so, so they posted in chat. GPT replied, David Randolph is not a widely recognized figure in the context of real estate short sales. So it's possible that you may be referring to someone specific. There may be a misunderstanding. Bingo. That's what I want. Okay. I don't want my stuff out there. And I want that <laughs> to answer the question. Beautiful. Let's move on. To well, you know what? Chat, chat knows who I am because I have articles on the internet, right? Uh, but yeah, if your stuff's not on the internet, that's great. Good job, David. Yeah, keep Woo-hoo. it, keep it, be, okay. be, be secret on that. There we go. We, we better move on to the next topic here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we could talk about this all day long. Uh, let's well, go. You know, hey, Richard's the expert in this area, so I, I defer to him on things. Yeah, I wanted to share this hey. from the previous topic, yeah. which is pretty interesting. Because we have a short-term vacation rental in Rabin County, Georgia. Now have to be inspected annually by a off-duty police officer, by the way, to license, pay 8% nightly occupancy tax monthly 
through the county plus the quarterly state filings and our neighborhood can decide at any point they don't want us anymore. I don't like it. Uh, See, I feel like that's more fair than just saying no. Like that's what the hotels are being charged. I feel like yeah, I I believe it's fair if you want to accept that control and and yeah, yeah but uh, yeah, that's the problem that I have. Just me personally, I don't like people tell me what I can do with my property. I mean, no, none of us do, but it's better than most of the counties, most of the big cities like Denver or Breckenridge. They're totally telling you you just can't. Like, mm -hmm. no. I'd rather them say yes, but put it in your business plan that there's going to be a nightly tax and then you charge more. Well, yeah, you can work it into your numbers, right? And you can do, yeah. you can run your numbers and you can make good deals for yourself because you know what it's going to cost you. The uncertainty mm -hmm. is the problem if they change the rules later. Mm, yeah. Right. Which is, yeah, which is the trend, true. which is, which is the trend. Yeah. Exactly. Well, hey, let's take a break and hear from our, our sponsor. It's me again, Antonio Holman, founder of United States Real Estate Investor and producer of This Month in Real Estate Investing. You know, one of the best ways to increase your company's brand awareness and increase warm leads is to create written content online. But as we know, content creation can be very time consuming and not very cost effective when having to pay professional copywriting fees. It's time to use REI Content Packs. REI Content Packs, done-for-you content packs, give you the tools, flexibility, and cost-effective way to increase your brand's visibility and online presence without spending hours or even days stressing on what to create. REI Content Packs are a collection of high-quality, ready-made real estate blog articles exclusively created for the real estate investing industry. Can you imagine the possibilities if you could do two to three more deals per month without increasing your ad spend? REI Content Packs can help you do that. Can you imagine getting unlimited online traffic, increasing your Google ranking, getting more leads, and making more money? REI Content Packs can help you do that too. To get started increasing your brand's content and lessening your workload, head on over to thismonthinrealestateinvesting.com slash REI Content Packs. That's this month in real estate investing.com forward slash REI content packs. It's time to get off the online marketing hamster wheel. Try REI content packs today at this month in real estate investing.com slash REI content packs. Now back to James and this month in real estate investing. All right. Let's talk about Florida, the Florida flock. Um, I don't, we don't have anybody on here that lives in Florida, do we? Uh, anybody investing in Florida specifically? I do. I all over Florida's one. Okay. I find, so in reading some of the articles, it wasn't just Florida. And then even just in, in conversations with people, um, there's been a lot of movement. People are moving states yeah. and going from here to there. So uh, North Carolina is another popular one. Texas is another popular one uh, where people are just flocking Arizona. Uh, just I, in a big way, cost of living. Uh, yep. Winter, yes. Um, cost of living is a big deal. Uh, I think that's been a major change. Even for some people, it's even political where they don't want to deal with the politics in certain states, so they move states. Sure. Tax policies, that's another big one, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Sun Belt states and all that stuff. For the longest, I yep. thought Florida was having a lot of increasing issues with floods and things like that. Some people say yes. Some people say, ah, it's nothing. So I don't know. I yep. People still keep moving there. I know pe- two people personally who just moved there from uh, California over the last year or so. Almost two well, years. Uh, according to the insurance companies, yes, there is an increase in flooding and in hurricane risk and things like that. And so yeah. I've yeah. seen that too. Insurance rates have gone up uh, specifically in those sunshine states uh, for different environmental yeah. reasons, typically. So even yeah, with the increase right. in insurance, if they're moving from California or New York, it's still, depending on their living situation, still may be less. Oh, it's much more affordable than New York or California. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, California's having all the insurance in. issues too. Oh, sorry, James. <laughs> California's going through the same thing. Nobody can get insurance. The brokerages I run there, everyone's pulling out. So it's the same issue. Yeah. 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 Both for owner occupied or for us as yeah. investors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's actually yeah. one story I did not touch on uh, was California. There's so much negative real estate, California real estate news, like every week. And the commercial real estate in California is doom and gloom to a massive extent. Yeah, you have a lot of homeless population out there, and this and that. California is looking really bad, especially San Francisco, compared to what it used to, you know, in its heyday. So, so to say. But there are so on California. Um, I actually another thing I just did this year was we put together a nonprofit uh, where specifically we're buying uh, properties to resell to low-income families. Uh, and that's uh, specific to California. And that's something we're just just starting up now. And so that's that's exciting. And be mm-hmm. part of the solution there. Yeah. And, yeah. and hey, you know, lots of solutions. And, yeah. and Nathan, maybe you don't want to say why you did that, but that is actually a pretty cool real estate technique. And I don't know if I'm going to give something away here, but. Florida has some very strange, well, some strange foreclosure laws. And there are some huge advantages that a nonprofit can come in. So let's take a home that goes to foreclosure. And at the courthouse steps, they bid on it and a price is set for buying the house at a foreclosure. Typical everything everywhere across the United States. Foreclosure, auction, and the bank, you know, uh, sells it off, so to speak. Uh, sells their loan. Uh, and, and that price is, is $200,000, or call it $500,000. A nonprofit can step in and offer $501,000 and get that house. Mm-hmm. Pretty interesting regulation that California has. Yeah, actually, that's what we're taking advantage of. And then again, because it's a nonprofit, the, the stipulation is then it has to be resold to somebody who's, who's considered uh, low income which I'm more than happy to do. That's, I think that's such a great uh, a great thing to be able to provide and help people that just want a house. Yeah, it's always good. Yeah, I grew, I grew up in California and all my family who stayed are pretty much gone now. I mean, over the past few years. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's just... I, I'm not interested. I've never really been interested in investing in real estate in California, but it, but 
only because I grew up there and lived there and I moved away because of people's attitudes. But um, yeah, I would go, go, go where there's more natural beauty, there's less crime, you know, there's more for your money, you can af actually afford properties and you don't have so much government control. Maybe, maybe because everybody's running away, that will make the properties do a giant dive and then everybody can run back in and buy them. <laughs> well, of course, it's all about what you could put, but it's based on what kind of income you can produce from that property, right? <laughs> true, true. Yeah. Well, and this goes back to what we were talking about before with, uh, with working remotely. Uh, if you're not having to go back into an office, and I think a lot of people figured this out, and we'll see how it plays out over the next couple of years. But if you can live, yeah. instead of living in uh, Connecticut is another one that's seen a huge increase. Uh, if you can live in Connecticut and do the same work that you were doing in New York remotely, and that's a huge advantage. Uh, you don't have a, a commute uh, and then just the cost of living in New York versus Connecticut. So I think a lot of people are figuring that out. And then now we'll see as, as employers are saying, yes, you need to come back to the office. We'll see how that plays out. And, you know, does that mean people are going to start moving back to these larger cities or, or not? Or the workers going to rise up and revolt and say, no way, we're not doing it and create a new culture. I don't know. There was actually, I'm trying to see if I included it, but there were, um, I think it was what millennials, a lot of millennials moved out of big cities to the suburbs or to like rural areas. Yeah. And mm -hmm. now they're regretting it because they're out there in the middle of nowhere and they have no friends and family and no amenities close by yes. so now they're starting to move back but, but all right there there's a trend that i i predicted 30 years ago of people moving out of the big cities into the suburbs and also creating these what's called pen town it's called penturbia uh it's these smaller communities that have everything that you need but they're they're a little more isolated they're not these big metro areas and we're seeing we've seen that it developing over the last 20 years and now will continue so some of these smaller communities will will have everything you want and you could live in those small towns or on the outskirts and it's just completely different than living in a metro area mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah yeah i know I've seen stats it. on there are stats on um living in metro areas having like a higher overall uh, lifestyle for lack of a better term that I can't think, think of, but, um, we are social animals. Well, yeah. Well, you, you have all the those amenities, New York city. Yeah. You need, yeah. you need everything. Walkability. Those are good places to visit. Those are good places to visit. <laughs> right. <laughs> but they're on the weekend. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I just went to New York city for the first time. Yeah. A couple of months I, ago, I, I was like, I asked James, I said, how many rats, yeah. how many rats did you see James? He said, I didn't see any. <laughs> got yeah, lucky. Well, they, maybe they got flooded out. because <laughs> I was there during that gnarly. Yeah, flood. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's go from flooding to fires. Maui fires was in the news. Um, investors were uh, kind of under the scrutiny. We, People were thinking we were coming in there like Mazda the flame. Um, anybody have comments on 
on that? I I bought I bought a number of properties in Hawaii, and what like we were talking about earlier, you don't own the land. Okay, it's you don't own the property fee simple. It's leasehold land. So essentially, because of the way we took over Hawaii, you can you're leasing a property in the land for a long period of time. It doesn't really affect you because you'll probably be dead before the lease is up. However, investors going into Maui and trying to buy uh, in that distressed situation. Uh, for me, it's just not something I would ever consider doing. Uh, I would go in there to help people, but I wouldn't be, if I could buy property and help people, great. But I think a lot of the investors are trying to take advantage of a, a very tough situation. Uh, and that's, that's not my, my bag. Yeah, that, that was pretty, uh, that's, that's pretty heartless. I mean, I get it because if you're a real estate investor, you're looking for deals, you're looking for, you know, I get it, but come on, man. These people's houses literally burned to the ground, everything they had. And then the vultures come flying in. That's bad. That's bad. And a lot of people already have bad opinions about real estate investors already. You know, yep. so and everybody these days are looking at Donald Trump, real estate investor. And a lot of people have a lot of negative things to say about him. So it just made it worse, I think. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's not talk about him. <laughs> just this is a quick comment i always have on morbid situations like this so one of the things that i do is i own a ton of life insurance policies and then i became a licensed agent seven years ago so one of the things i do is is i implement life insurance strategies for clients most of whom for me are lawyers and real estate investors because those are the two groups i'm in so i always like to remind people like you never actually know when you're gonna die you could be in Hawaii having a great time and then bam, something happens. So it's always just important to have life insurance of any kind. Yeah. Yep. So you're doing infinite banking, bank on yourself. Uh, we do all kinds of stuff. Uh, it includes that. So I have a ton of cash value in my life insurance policies and I have a line of credit set up against them. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Did somebody say something? Antonio. That was, that I don't was think I, I don't, I, I don't think I'm allowed to talk about my conspiracy theories about Maui. So I won't. <laughs> All right. Hey, I'd like to hear him. I'd like to hear him. <laughs> yeah, I had not uh, it was, it, Oh, you don't want to hear it. Not, not on this call. <laughs> we'll get, right, I got you. you want this on YouTube, right? You They'll take it off of YouTube. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, true. All right. Let's jump into you the do next topic. Uh, so let's talk about NAR, National Association of Realtors, and uh, the lawsuits around that. I know, uh, let's see, Jennifer, you're a licensed agent, right? Mm -hmm. Kim, Kim, you still are, right? You guys have any comments on that from the the agent side. I mean, from can, the agent can, side. And by the way, can you give us a recap so everybody knows what you're talking about? What was the recent change uh, that we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's there's multiple lawsuits going on, right? It's you know going sure. after buyers and sellers came after agents for sharing commissions and 
basically price fixing. So from the agent side, because we've been, I run multiple brokerages, so we've really been keeping an eye on this really heavily. But funny enough, because most of my brokerages that I run are in California and Colorado, um, based on the way that we educate our clients and that our contracts are written, um, I'm actually seeing a lot less movement in those states than a lot of the other ones, um, because it, I feel like it's more clear that commission is shared, right? We're, we are paid as the listing agent and we're giving a certain percentage and that is negotiable. Um, but one of the things that we've been doing for the last couple of months is just making sure that clients are educated and we have agreements in place that all of us should have been doing from day one. So I think it's really just kind of all of this is going to make it a little bit different on how everyone gets paid. And everyone needs to be communicating with their clients a little bit more on what these contracts mean. Hmm. 100%. A lot of people were complaining and saying that the broker fees are, were way too high. Does that play into this same type of lawsuit? I mean, that's why everyone's getting sued, but it's always been negotiable. I mean, I know when I'm yeah. looking at my contracts, like half of it's, I literally have one, one of our broker owners, like literally it's part of his conversation. He goes through it. He handwrites it. He even initials next to it. I love the fact that he did all that, but he negotiates with his clients as he's going through it. It's agents need to make it more about what they're offering. And like, this is the fee I charge because this is everything that's included. And I think agents got a little lazy, right? They got lazy and they said, I just charge 6% because I'm an agent. Well, what about the millions of things you do in a transaction? I think that's what's going to change. We're going to see more of like the, the difference in fees. This is what we charge because of X, Y, Z. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it sounds like it's about disclosure and expectations. You know, that you should, yeah, you should already, everybody should already know what's, what they're agreeing to. So now just do better. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. A couple of the things that the group of articles mentioned too, is we're most likely going to start seeing a migration to the buyer agent getting paid probably by the buyer in some way, shape or form. And then the seller agent getting paid by the seller. Um, I know that there's been a lot of talk around that over the last couple of years. And it's still the same point is you just have to show your value. You know, there's a lot of things that buyers agents do that a lot of people don't see, um, name, mm -hmm. namely giving tours and opening up a ton of doors. You know, some people, you know, see 20, 30 houses. And that is a lot of things that aren't necessarily talked about, but that they do a lot of other things as well. So I think it's just education and educating the market on where the value is. Yeah, it's been more of a trend. I know thinking about we just moved a year and a half ago and we bought it over Zoom. So we did have an agent and she's the one that facilitated all of that. But everything was done over Zoom. Is there has there been a change or, or what have you seen, Jennifer, in that? Are they doing more work or less work or just different? Work? I actually I feel like if you're doing something virtually, I actually personally feel like it's more work just mm -hmm. to. I, and I come from it as like in the standpoint of like covering everyone's best interests. So like mm -hmm. if my client is not physically there, I actually feel like I'm personally doing more work to document everything and make sure they understand things. And I'm walking around with the camera and I'm making sure that they saw the stain on the living room ceiling in the corner. Like to me, I don't feel like 
being virtual or in person should make a difference as far as fees because I think that like the standards of what an agent is doing should be the same in in both situations. Sure. Interesting. Yeah. Another thing to, that, to think about is liability. So, you know, we've got errors and emissions insurance as, as agents. Um, one reason why you hire an agent to open doors is to protect the seller because you are a licensed agent with insurance and you're taking your buyers. So you as the agent are responsible for them not stealing stuff, whatever they're doing in the house, right? Opening it up, not even having representation, letting people into your home, that's not gonna work. Um, mm -hmm. If you don't have that, then you're gonna have to have the listing agent be there to kind of keep an eye on things. So then the weight shifts back to that listing agent. Um, and the other thing is, well, you know, talking about the remote work or, you know, doing that remotely for somebody that takes more, um, more work and there's more liability because you as the buyer are relying on that agent to give you as much information as possible. And if you don't as an agent, that could be a liability issue too. Um, and we have to pay for that insurance and be paid for our time as agents. So there's a, there's a lot of different things when you well, you're, you're, you're talking, you're talking about building value and communicating the value of a real estate agent, helping a buyer or a seller. And that's a perfect opportunity to use chat GPT and say, look, my clients, whatever business you're in, my clients don't understand my value. I'm a real estate. I'm a buyer's agent. What do I, you know, what is the value I provide? And it will, it will give you a great script that you can drill down on and so that you can communicate that more because it's just a matter of communicating, building that value. Because like you said, a lot of people don't know all of the things that you're actually doing for people and all the work. They don't care about the work. They care about what you do for them. And you do so much, you, don't, you probably don't get paid. I know for a fact you don't get paid enough <laughs> for all that work. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, people have no idea. I, I want to chime in here. As an investor, I would be willing to pay for the buyer's agent separately. Um, the buyer's agents bring value. I don't need a real estate agent to open up the door and show me where the kitchen is. I can figure out where the kitchen is, you know, perfectly, perfectly fine. I'm looking for an agent to help me, uh, you know, look after my exposure, bring those intangibles, um, you know, help me research the empty field across the street and what that's zone to become. Or, you know, sometimes even talk me out of a deal. Hey, this is uh, this is going to cost way more than than uh, than what you're thinking. You're over your head, or maybe this is a great deal. Add a wall here, you know, turn this into short-term rental or whatever. So for me as an investor, I, I think agents are very valuable. They bring you deals. I, I would be willing to Love continue it. paying for their commission outside of the transaction or or whatever whatever NAR agrees to or whatever mm -hmm. whatever the lawsuits fall. Uh, I find value in good good agents. Yeah. I'm as an investor, I have no love for agents because it's not part of my investing model. But when I bought my recent property that I live in, I wanted an agent to protect myself. <laughs> yeah. So everybody, I think if they don't know what they're doing, if they're in a new area or if they haven't bought a property before or for a long time, they need that guidance and you should get paid 
And that's what agents do. So as some people think that age, agents are going the wayside because of everything you can do online. It, that's where you have to communicate in your marketing what you do do that, you know, because a lot of people can figure out what their house is worth. Usually they had to call an agent. Now they can just do it automatically. You need to communicate the unique value that you provide to your clients. Yep. Well, hey, let's go to our next topic. Biggest winners and losers of 2023. Um, Antonio, should I just read through these? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, so it's like bulleted. Winners. So it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Winners. Cash buyers benefiting from slight price falls. Uh, those moving from houses to flats. What are we in Europe? Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, those trading up. Landlords owning properties outright. And HMO tenants. Oops, phone's ringing. Sorry. Uh, losers. What's it? first time? What are HMO tenants? What's HMO tenants? Uh, what was that, Antonio? Uh, HMO tenants experience less rent increase due to landlords bearing rising energy costs. You're going to have to ask ChatGPT. Yep. <laughs> Cue that up, Richard. <laughs> All right, I'll do that right now. All right. Losers, I would, I would first time home buyers. Can I add one more to the Losers list of winners? Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, go, go ahead. Sorry. Note buyers. Uh -huh. <laughs> buying a set of terms that has not changed. So interest rates can go up, interest rates can go down, inflation can go up, inflation can go down. It doesn't affect me. I'm buying a, a steady set of terms that are already there. Uh, whatever I buy still exists. So there's no change, there's no difference for me or the homeowner. So we both win in that situation. Right. Yeah, same with buying subject to existing loans, right? Kind of similar. A little bit that can be incorporated. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Richard. Yeah. That uh, HMO was shared shared housing by uh, multiple families, so they're sharing oh, I... and kitchens and things like that. Oh, I've been telling people to do that for four years. I didn't even know what it was called. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I put. Uh, all right. Thank you. Oh, yeah. So as losers were HMO tenants, they experienced less rent increase due to landlords bearing rising energy costs. And then on the loser side was the landlords facing reduced profits because of utility costs. So, um, let's see. Other losers, first time buyers. As you guys on the lending side, like Johnny noted, well, that's been really tough. And us as agents, um, no one wants to sell and get into a higher mortgage rate and buyers are just kind of handicapped because they can't buy as much home. Uh, so then they're all waiting for the rates to lower, hopefully. Um, and let's see other losers, those with uh, ending fixed rate mortgages, tenants seeking new homes, um, and highly geared landlords. 
to stay surprised by interest rate rises, potentially leading to financial strain. Any comments on all that or additions to that list? Uh, I think there's one there. If I could add one to the winners, um, is the for you know this is real estate investing, okay, right? And that's for rehabbers, you know, those people that buy houses, fix them up, and sell them. Because when you've got the um, you know two months of inventory of houses, when the normal inventory level on single family houses is six months, and you have two months, anybody that has a house that they can rehab and put on the open market on the MLS and sell retail is a winner. I just did one about three weeks ago, listed it for 260 and sold it for 282. Okay. And you know, $22,000 over the list price. And so I would call that a winner. People that are rehabbing houses, we have a shortage of houses in the market. Point. Good point. I, I did ask Chad about HMO when I put the uh, the answer in the in the chat comments, which is yeah. yeah. There you go. It said it said the HMO landlords were on the losers list. Yeah. Because of rising utilities, because their yeah. their 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 expenses went up, but their income didn't go up accordingly. Now, if they had the right paperwork, it wouldn't have been an issue. It would have went up automatically. Gotcha. All right. Let's jump to our fun news item, our last item from AP News. In the German, a German court, a naked landlord doesn't justify lower <laughs> rent. <laughs> so, I guess he was sunbathing naked in the, the building's courtyard. And uh, one of the tenants, a human resources company, was fighting that and wanting a reduced rent. So the court said, no, no. you either leave, <laughs> you either leave or pay your rent. That's it. You don't get to negotiate your rent and still gawk. You know, you're not allowed to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's never the ones you want to see, James. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> They didn't even win. They didn't win. They only got awarded something because of nearby construction noise. So <laughs> apparently they still have to look at the naked landlord. Or move. <laughs> or move. Or move. Yes. I vote for moving, by the way. <laughs> That's a crazy oh, it, dep it depends on the landlord, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, maybe they could raise the rent. I mean, you know, it depends on who the landlord is. True, you know? true. Exactly. Very true. Is it a benefit? <laughs> <laughs> All right. We got a bonus uh, topic here. Top 10 strangest New Year's customs around the world. Um, in Spain, eating grapes. 12 grapes at midnight, it says. Um, Denmark. Breaking dishes in Ecuador, burning scarecrows in Finland, casting tin. Uh, not sure what that's all about. Scotland, first footing um, tradition that holds that first person to enter a home after midnight will bring good or bad luck, depending on their appearance. 
Dark-haired men are considered <laughs> lucky. Depending on their appearance. Wow. <laughs> Blondes and redheads might bring, bring bad luck. Wow, that's crazy. Okay. <laughs> In the Philippines, round things, things like coins, symbolize wealth. Uh, Colombia, empty suitcase walk. People take an empty suitcase and walk around the block as quickly as they can at midnight. It's believed to ensure you're filled with travel. Uh, from South Africa, furniture throwing. That People was throw odd. old furniture out the window. <laughs> <laughs> Strange. See, in Japan, 108 bells. Buddhist temples ring their bells 108 times, symbolizing the 108 earthly temptations a person must overcome to achieve nirvana. And then in Italy, re wearing red underwear is supposed to bring good luck. So, all right, guys. Well, that's our, uh, our news for this month. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Jason Palliser's two-day investment blueprint, and REI content packs. Again, thanks to our guests, Jennifer Stats, Kimberly Kesterkey, Johnny Macias, Nathan Turner, Richard Roop, David Randolph, and Ethan Gao. Uh, in that order, why don't you guys let people know how they can connect with you? Uh, Jennifer Stats here, and the, probably the easiest way is just to go to our website, statsolutions.com, or it's easy to find me on Instagram at Jennifer the Realtor. Fantastic. Awesome. Kim Kesterkey, the W2 landlord. And the best way to reach me is the Facebook group, W2 Real Estate Investors. Johnny Macias, uh, call it a Mortgage Connect Facebook group. Um, also, we use the, uh, the hashtag handle, hashtag the real estate ladder. Um, follow us for content. Uh, Nathan Turner, you can just get me on email. It's probably best. LinkedIn, Facebook, all those work, but just email me, Nathan at earnestinvesting.com. All right, Richard Roop, I got a gift for you guys, being it's the beginning of the year. So go ahead and email me at Roop, as in poop, Roop at profitpro.ai, and I'm going to send you a persona prompt with that I created that acts, makes chat G. PT, act like a strategic planner. I want you to use that and have it create your game plan for 2024. So between now and the end of January, I want you to lay out exactly how you want your, your business to look over the next year. Group at ProfitPro.ai. Uh, David Randolph, probably the easiest way is go to my website, T-H-E-TheDavidRandolph.com. Right there on that main page, you can get a free short sale video and slides. That's my gift to you, show you about short sales. If you're a real real estate investor trying to be active and wanting to make profit on houses in today's market, you got to find out and learn about how the banks are literally dumping the houses right now. So go to thedavidrandolph.com and get my free video and slides on short sales. Really enjoyed this, Antonio. I want to appreciate it very much what you do for us and bringing this information to the community. Yes. Thank you, James. James. Thank you, Antonio. And thank you, everybody. Awesome. Being here. Ethan. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Uh, email is the best way. Ethan at Gal Family Office, which is spelled G-A-O and then Family Office. 
com is the best way of getting a hold of me, or you can look me up on LinkedIn and send me a message as well. Fantastic. Thank you, guys. This was awesome. All right. This I'm was a lot of fun. Brown. Yeah. I'm you guys, make sure everybody, uh, everybody stays on afterwards so we yep. can make sure all the videos upload. But go ahead. Sorry, James, stepping all over you. Yep. We'll, yeah, we'll finish this up. I'm your host, James Brown. And I show people how to make safe, secure returns through our hybrid investing model. Go to www.hybridinvestor.vip to learn more. Also, huge thanks to our producer, Antonio Holman, with United States Real Estate Investor. Follow and subscribe to This Month in Real Estate Investing on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash at United States REI or your favorite podcast app. If you run across interesting news, events, or good guest suggestions, feel free to share by emailing Antonio at UnitedStatesRealEstateInvestor.com. And remember, when one door closes, another door opens to financial freedom. Have a happy new year. Thanks, guys. Thank you.